So, uh, Menuna series, and uh, go to the next one. It's just called Wake Up. Just want you to wake up, all right? I'm ringing the bell, the wake up bell. Quick aside, and maybe if you grew up in a Catholic culture, you might know this, but sometimes in Catholic Mass, not always, I've visited a few, when you're getting ready to serve communion, the bell rings, right? Uh, Roberta, and the bell ringing is, in their understanding, is when something supernatural happens to the bread and the juice. But uh, just interesting aside, but it's, it's the sense of let's be aware of another world, right? So when I ring the bell, it's kind of like the whole idea of Jesus wanting us to wake up. Let's be aware of the invisible world where he is, and, and he wants us to wake up. So wake up to uh, what he's doing and what he's saying, all right? So we've been doing on this, we've been doing, go to the next slide, We've been doing uh, some of the tough issues in the culture today, and how do we, not, not how we think about it, what, would, what does Jesus say about these issues, whether it's, you know, racial issues, other word religions, LGBTQ plus kind of issues, all of these issues which, uh, to some degree, kind of come right at us, whether we want to or not, and we have to figure out how do we respond to that. We can, we can respond this way, we can pretend they're not there. Or we can respond in a way where we try to fight it and win the culture war. But that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand what is Jesus saying to us uh, on these issues. Go to the next slide. A couple of assumptions. We've all, I've said this every week. Our first and primary assumption. So I have, if you can't understand the symbolism here, maybe you can. All these issues, we think about those after we first acknowledge we trust Jesus. What Jesus has to say matters. And it's Jesus as the Bible tells us he is, not Jesus that you think he is, or I think he is. And you might say, what does that mean? Well, you'll hear people say that Jesus was all about this or all about that. And whenever somebody makes that statement, you ought to actually, like I had a person say to me, you know, Jesus is all about poor people in the Bible. And I was like, well, can you show me the events in Jesus' life where he does that? Yes, he was about the blind and the lame, but it's mainly because they were excluded from the life of God and worship. It wasn't, so he wasn't really all about poor people. He was about getting people connected to God who had been far away from God. So my point is, every one of these issues, we have to start with a starting point. of We trust what Jesus has to say, and we're going to trust what the Bible has to say. Because that's, that's our only source of who Jesus is and what he said. So we can't put words in Jesus' mouth on these kind of issues. So everything starts with Jesus. Next slide. Other things we're going to say, these other mindset issues... Um, we're not going to mock the whole woke movement. We're not going to make fun of people saying we should be woke because maybe there's things we can learn from it. Uh, that's the first one. Second one is we're going to ask tough questions. We're going to think deeply, meaning thinking biblically. We're going to love widely because all these issues engaging our people. They're not just issues, whether it's sexual uh, orientation, identity issues, whether it's racial issues. We're talking about people, not just political issues. All right. Um, next one. We're not trying, no, say the bottom corner, no, I'm sorry, bottom corner, bottom corner. We're not trying to win the culture war. So that little, this icon, icon here is, we're not fighting these issues, we're asking Jesus to speak into those issues. It's a huge difference. We're not trying to take a Fox News perspective or a CNN perspective. We're trying to ask the question, what is Jesus saying to us? Um, Revelation, the phrase John uses one time is, what is, what is the spirit of Christ saying to the churches? Kind of thing. And then the last thing I've said is I'm, I'm going to challenge all of us, self-included, to make a posture shift. So we said a couple weeks ago that Jesus was full of truth and grace. 
He was both of those. When we err on and get overly truthful and not graceful, then we're like the Pharisees. If we just do grace and no truth, then we're just all the only income free and whatever you want to do. And that's not Christianity. That's not Jesus either. So wherever you are in the continuum, you may need to shift in your thinking to become more like how Jesus thinks. So whether you're on, well, the truth matters. Yes, it does. Or we want to be graceful. Yes, we do. But none of us are Jesus as far as I know. So all of us have shifts to make. We mean to shift this direction or from that direction. So we all need to kind of be aware to be able to shift. So, so the topic for the day is a term maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't heard. And again, we're not is white privilege. So uh, white privilege, I'll just give you a quick definition. We're going to watch a, a video. White privilege is a sense that if you are white, then you have uh, opportunities, you have access to things that other people who, who are not white have. All right? It's just a simple definition from what I've read and interaction and stuff. But this is, just, this is kind of a fun, funny kind of video. James Carden is a British... Uh, comedian so let's just watch it's it's him being introduced to this concept of white privilege again we're not he's not they're making they're making they're laughing and stuff but we're not mocking we're just trying to introduce it this way so go ahead and show the the third, third thing you can do to help right now is all james, of us james hi i have some great news uh, so, hi olivia sorry to everyone watching at home this is olivia olivia is a writer on the show we're actually taping the show right now olivia we're just doing we're just doing three things you can do to help at the moment. So we're oh, right in the I know. That's the great news. You have an amazing tool to help fight structural racism. You're right. What's that? I have my celebrity. It's, it's the blue. Stop. Thing. It's the touch, but <laughs> oh, I touch it. no. My platform? Oh, God, no. Nobody actually watches this show. It plays in rooms where people have fallen asleep. What? Well, you, well tell me, what do you mean? What, what tools do I have? Actually, the tool that you have is so powerful, you're probably not even aware of it. Is it my, oh, there's no, I don't, I don't, I don't want this to come out as arrogant. Is it, is it my charisma? Because <laughs> people oh, say that, I, they say that about me. They say I've got a sort of, they can't put their finger on it. Do you know what I mean? I've got a sort of vulnerable confidence you rarely find in a big man. It's your privilege. That's what it is. I shouldn't have made you guess. Privilege. My privilege. Right. Right. Well, let, let's pretend as an exercise that I, I don't 100% know what that means, but I do know that when I hear it, it makes me feel bad. It's perfectly normal to feel a little bit guilty talking about privilege, but if it helps, having privilege isn't your fault. It's something you inherited, not something you did wrong. Ah, no, well, that's the thing, you see. This is, no, I, I didn't inherit anything. Like, I didn't grow up in a wealthy home. Do you know what I mean? We used to go camping in Bournemouth. You know, I'm not privileged in any way. I'm so happy you brought that up. One of the biggest misconceptions about privilege is that saying you have it is saying you have an easy life or that you had it easy growing up. It doesn't mean that. What privilege does mean, specifically white privilege, is that your skin color didn't make your life more challenging. Right, I, I hear what you're saying, but the thought that I have white privilege makes me feel really bad. It, it doesn't have I to. feel bad. It's okay. It's James. made me, I'm feeling bad. Oh, 
I hate racism. I hate I racism. It. Let's try to keep going. <laughs> but, but I have white privilege. There, I said it. I said it. I did it. I can handle that. I have white privilege. I have a very charismatic white privilege. <laughs> sure. And having that privilege means that you don't have to deal with things like being racially profiled or getting unfairly turned down for a mortgage loan because of your skin color or being a minority at your workplace. So you have to explain privilege to people you work with. That's terrible. Have those things ever happened to you? Uh, yeah. One of them is happening right now. Oh my God. Oh God, did you just get turned down for a mortgage loan? <laughs> no, no, I'm explaining privilege to someone I work with. I'm the worst. Oh, okay. I am so stupid. It's okay. I'm the problem. No, James, no, I'm it's the okay. problem. I'm that's the problem. Why, oh, that's God. That's why we're doing this. Don't. It's okay. <laughs> because there's so many helpful things that you can do with your privilege. Well, like what? Recognizing it is a huge step. And now that you recognized it, you can use it to fight for a more just society. I can? Yes, you can use your privilege to speak up on behalf of people of color in big ways and small ways. Big ways like fighting for social justice in areas like education, healthcare, and housing, and smaller ways like listening to people of color, especially when we talk about racism, without making it about your feelings. Oh my God, making it about my feelings. That's what I just did. Yeah. Well, now that's made me feel absolutely. Never mind. There you go. This has been three things you can do to help. Thanks, Olivia Hayward, everybody. We'll be right back with more of The Late Late Show. Okay. So, uh, what I want to talk about is, go to, the, go to the slide that says white privilege. And I, and I want you to notice something that I did intentionally. The word white is in actually quite small font here, all right? Because it could also have American privilege. I mean, uh, Stephanie is going to Brazil in a few weeks, and because the American economy is really good, her money's going to go a long way. All right, she had nothing to do with the American economy, as far as I know. You don't, you're not, but she has privilege because she's American. If you're a male, we have a certain kind of privilege because we get treated differently than females in our culture. If I go to a, if I, if I go to a car car place to talk about car issues, I guarantee you they're going to talk to me differently than they would to my wife. All right, so there's a, so we all have some degree of privilege as Americans. Just the fact you're born in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, we have privilege. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna zero around just on the white privilege thing, but we all have privilege. All right. Now on the white privilege thing, though, you'll in our culture today, there's some books out. There's a book called White Fragility. Um, you can read it if you want to. I'm not, I'm, I chose not to, but I know about it that basically the whole assumption is if you're white, you should feel bad that you're white. And, and guilt, and I don't think I'm exaggerating what the thesis of the book is. I've read a lot of them. Guilt and shame is what should motivate you. If you're a white person, you should feel ashamed. 
and do something about it, all right? And, and the word shame is key there, all right? There's another book called The Color of Compromise. There's all kinds of books about it. But here's the point I think I, I want to make that, that was kind of a good thing for me to be aware of. And then, and then we're going to look at what Jesus had to say. So that whole time during the video, I meant to do this at the start of hand, I wanted, to, I wanted to imagine a chair right here that Jesus was sitting in watching the video. And what, what would he say about what was just said? And again, that this video was said kind of in a more of a mild way, but what would Jesus say about this issue? So I, I, I stole a ladder from downstairs at the boys' club to make an, to make an analogy, all right? So, um, and this actually was something that hit me because throughout this last summer, Kathy and I had a chance to, we sat down with a couple different African-American pastors and their wives and asked them, okay, what do you, what do you want white Christians to hear about what's going on in our country? You know, we invited them, and we know they're the men, we, the men and women we talked to are godly people, and we thought we understand. But it was more like, hey, what, what is your life like as an African-American Christian? And what do you wish those of us who are white Christians would understand? And here's one of the things I came with that, and, and just hear me out till you uh, react. So this is a white person. It's the closest thing I can find. It's kind of cream yellow colored, but it's a white person, all right? Let's say it's me. And let's say that I started off uh, life right here. My parents were both college educated, had nothing to do with that. Um, my grandparents were not college educated, even didn't go to high school. But one of them had some money, so when he died, I got money. I had nothing to do with that. So I started a little bit uh, here, all right? And, you might, and so maybe I'm here today. This is, this is like success or what American dream or whatever, but I'm here, all right? And what you might say is, what a lot of people say as well, it's the same for everybody. We all have to work hard to get success. It shouldn't be handed to anybody. But I think what I came to realize in interacting with some of the African-American friends I have, pastor friends and others, is that maybe they started down a rung on the ladder. And maybe I started up simply because I'm white. And again, I'm not, and you might say, and I might say, how do you know that? Well, I don't know. I just been talking to my when I realized, when I was talking to one person in particular, I thought, okay, this guy, this is Derek House, pastor at Lighthouse. His great-great-grandparents were slaves. His great-grandparents were post-slavery, which still wasn't very good. His grandparents grew up in, like, Jim Crow era. His dad grew up in Indianapolis in, Jim, in kind of Jim. And I thought, okay, um, let's assume it's, it's, it's at least possible I have advantage an opportunity he didn't have. And you might say, how? I don't know. Now, do we still have to work hard to get what we have? Yes, but I, I wonder if for some African Americans, or for that matter, any other racial minority in our country, they have to start, they have to work a little bit harder because their starting place is different. And maybe they don't have the opportunities. And again, you might say, well, how do you know you've had opportunities because you're white? I, I don't know. I'm just guessing that's probably likely. But, and, and, but I don't feel guilty. So the goal isn't to feel guilt. The goal is just to be aware. And so to some degree, when people throw, and, you know, my wife works on campus, and I know she gets that term thrown at her almost like as an accusation. But I'm, I'm going to challenge you, first of all, at least have empathy for the African-American experience in our culture, all right? We're going to get to Jesus here in a second, but just understand when, you know, some of the stories I heard from Michael Carter and his wife, he's another African-American pastor, he's preached there before, or Derek, made me realize, okay, they've had experiences they were treated certain ways solely because there's color of their skin in certain situations that I've never had to deal with, all right? So at least understand that maybe they've had some experiences 
because of the color of the skin. All right. So, so again, let's ask the question, if Jesus was sitting right here, what, what does he say about how we handle our privilege? Because, again, what the culture says to us right now is we should feel ashamed. And out of that shame, we should, feel, we should do something for minorities out of our shame to make it right again. All right. And I'm saying right away, that's, that's not where we're going to land on this. Or let's look and see what Jesus says. All right. So um, you have on your, on your middle, the middle of the table, have a piece of paper with some blanks in it. Um, if you have a chance to, the other side, we're not going to take time to read it now. The other side is a very easy to find on the Internet, a quiz as to whether or not you have white privilege or not. You may have a chance to read that. I mean, you may, I'm not saying I agree or disagree. It's just what universities and places of probably corporations are using this to help people understand but it's, again, if you read it in the sense of empathy, I want to understand their experience, all right? But I want you to flip on this side that has a Luke 12, 28. Because this is, this is the primary, again, we trust Jesus. We trust what he has to say. This is what Jesus has to say about your and my privilege. Whether you're white, American, whatever you are, we have privilege, right? He says this. He said, when someone has been given much, I'm gonna, we're going to unpack all the underlying terms in a second. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So Jesus says, and so when, when uh, somebody's been given much, the, the, the sense of that word, those words, given much, is that when someone gives you something from their resources that gives you some kind of an advantage. And the giver is God. The giver is not the culture of your grandparents. It's, it's God. But Jesus is saying, if you've been given much, if Lauren's been given much from God, she has an advantage that God has entrusted her with. So then Jesus says, much is going to be required in return. And the, the word there, and again, required not from our culture, not from your peers, not from the American government. The person who's requiring it is God. He's looking, and I'm just picking on Lauren, he's looking for Lauren to be a steward of what he's given her that's given her advantage. Right? He's, he, he's looking for that. Actually, the word required could also be translated demanded. And it's not, God's not a demanding, harsh boss, but he expects us to be stewards of the opportunities and what we've been much given. Right? So when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. But when someone has been, in, and it's someone who's entrusted with much, that's kind of responsibility, but same thing, it's opportunities, it's resources, whatever, when you've been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And that term even has this sense of more, you know, over and above. So if God's entrusted us with any degree of privilege, which again, the fact that you're born in America, we, the richest country in the history of the world, we have privilege, right? So you can add on to whether you also have additional societal opportunities because of the color of your skin, your gender, your ethnic background, because some ethnic backgrounds, even though we're white, might have less or more opportunities in certain situations. Um, I'll just make a joke about the Dutch. I've always heard if you're, Dutch, you're, not, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. So kind of like, but so, so even ethnicities among white people, there's kind of, we're better, but we've all have opportunity. And so what Jesus says to us, if you've been given a lot that I've entrusted you with, there's going to be a lot required of you. You better steward that well. 
Now, let me contrast that. What the culture says when they throw white privilege around, the motivation should be shame. should be ashamed, and you might say, well, none of my ancestors owned slaves. Yeah, true, all right. But the culture says you still should be shame anyway because it's this color of your skin over which none of us had control of, right? Shame is the motivational force to make things right. Jesus, on the other hand, which is, this is a huge difference. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus' motivation for stewarding your opportunities and resources for the benefit of others is, is stewardship. Shame over here to motivate you to do things, help out people, change things. We need to change the system because you should feel ashamed of yourselves. You need to use, but Jesus is like, no, Jesus is asking to be stewards. And if I'm, if I'm being motivated by stewarding something Jesus asked me to do, I'm a lot more motivated, one, because if Jesus said it, I'm going to do it. I trust him. We trust Jesus. So if he tells me to steward my, my resources on behalf of others because he expects that of me, he requires that of me. And again, it's not like a harsh boss, but if Jesus has given me opportunity or you opportunity or you access to things because of how you're born of which you had no control, whether, again, color, skin, ethnicity, whatever, then I'm motivated by stewardship. I'm motivated because Jesus asked me to. Over here, shame can motivate me a little bit. I want to appease the gods of shame, so yeah, I guess I should do some things on behalf of other racial issues and maybe give money to this cause and hopefully I've given enough and I've appeased it and we're done with that. If you're motivated by stewardship, Jesus will ask you to do things above and beyond what shame would require of you. And you're not trying to appease him. You're just trying to please Jesus because he's, it's, it's, it's his money anyway. But stewardship has a much more foundation of world revolution than shame will ever have. So the church should be at the center of, of, uh, of this whole thing. So it's not, so again, when Jesus says this, he's like, if you've been given much, much is required of you. So if Jesus was sitting here listening to James Corden and his other co-workers talk, I think he'd probably say, and again, we can only say from what he, I think he'd say there's, there's probably something you need to listen to there. But in the end, Jesus would say, listen to me, and if I tell you to use your resources and your money and your time and energy on behalf of somebody who has had a less privileged life than you, Jesus would say, you better do it, because I'm asking you to. And he doesn't say that with that guy, maybe I've had the wrong tone. <laughs> Jesus wants us to help others who are less privileged than us. So stewardship as opposed to shame. So this, this is the place where I thought I was going to stop the sermon, but I, this week I was doing some more reading. I made me think about something else, and we'll tag on one more thing. So now let's, I'm going to jump to the Old Testament. And the year of Jubilee. Um, Probably not something you've heard a lot about. The word jubilee you've maybe heard about. But uh, like anybody know how often the year of jubilee actually happened in the Old Testament? How many years till it happened? Seven times seven plus one, 50. So seven is a magic number, but jubilee, the year of jubilee is from Leviticus chapter 25. And this relates to this whole thing. Leviticus chapter 25, when God was telling the Israelites, this is how you're going to be my people and live. Every, uh, every seven years, there was a rotation of, of every seven years they weren't supposed to 
plow the land and take, you know, they're supposed to let the land rest. But every seven sevens on the 50th year, and I'm not sure why an extra one was added, was the year of Jubilee. Well, if, if you were to read in, in Leviticus 25, this was kind of the primary verse, set this year apart as, as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. And then God goes on to talk about, okay, if, if, you, uh, if, you had, if you were in a poverty situation on the 50th year, you were allowed to return to the land you used to own. own. And it was yours again. Kind of like this reset. Because initially God gave them all certain plots of land by their tribe, by their... Or, and so the word return appears a lot in, in, 20, in chapter 25 of Leviticus. In the 50th year, everything gets returned back to the owner. Now, God was, God, God was smart. He knows how we think. So if you, were to buy, if you were to buy land from somebody, the price was based on how many years till the Jubilee year. So if it was only a couple years, you pay less for the land because the Jubilee year it goes back to the original owner or the original family. But if you bought it in year 40 where there's 40 years to go, you paid more. So God wasn't advocating like unfairness. He was advocating uh, everybody needs to have the opportunities that I intend for them to have. So it's kind of like this reset button. But it's not, and this is where, I wish he was here this week, but he's not, Jesse, uh, Jesse Crane left church last Sunday. He told me he saw somebody standing on a courthouse square with a sign that said, Jesus gave us socialism. I don't know if anybody else saw that or not. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it, and I, but Jesse was telling me that. And I thought, okay, one, that's, that's not, Jesus was never a socialist. But let me just think about this for a second. Okay, socialism, and socialism, the state owns everything and supposedly equally distributes it to everybody. I'm, I'm being simplistic, but that's a simplistic understanding of socialism is this, everything is centrally owned and then equally distributed, kind of this equity, equal distribution. That's not Jesus. Uh, it's not what he taught, but here's what he did teach. Everything is centrally owned by God. God even says in, in Leviticus 25, none of you own the land, I own it. All right, just think about that for a second. Socialism, the state owns everything and distributes it to the people. In the kingdom of God, God even says in Leviticus 25, I own everything. I own all the land. It's all mine. I'm just letting you steward it. So God's not into economic equality of distribution from the government point of view. But he is into, if, if, he, if he tells you to do something with your money, to help someone else out who's less advantaged, then that's, God's totally into that. So I don't know what, I don't know what John Ubehel's bank account is like, but the money's God's, right? It, John earned it. He worked hard for it, I'm assuming. He earned it. But God would say, but that bank account's mine, John. You're the steward of it. So if I'm asking you to give X number of dollars to this person because they need some help in this situation. They're less privileged than you, less opportunity. Then God may do that. He may ask you to do that. We, you were here, uh, if you were here months ago, we gave money to Lighthouse Church for their mortgage. And it was simply because we felt like God wanted us to. We gave them $12,000. So it wasn't because of, you might have heard this word, reparations. It's not reparations. We, we're not legally obligated to give money to anybody who is less fortunate than us. 
but we are spiritually motivated if God says to do it. Huge difference right there. So I just was interested in the year of Jubilee that it's the year where everything gets, all debts get forgiven. Everything goes back to everybody gets a fresh start. Now again, God, it's, not about, it's not about socialism. It's about God being able to say to individuals, you need to be a part of this helping others out. So the year of Jubilee was a huge part of the understanding of the... Now, whether or not they lived that out or obeyed God in those things, probably not because we're all kind of greedy. We don't want to give away money that God asks, gives us to have. But this year of Jubilee was a huge part of how God wanted those who had had advantage, opportunity, and maybe success because they worked hard to be a part of helping others. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't a mandated thing by the government. Uh, the government in our country or any country in the world will never solve the problem of disadvantage and poverty. Ever, never, ever, ever. That will only happen when, when people of the Spirit of God in them respond to what God asks us individually and corporately to do. That's when the world starts to change. The, the seed of change is not going to start with any government anywhere in the world, any century of time. It will start with the people of God who have the Spirit of God inside of them who live out the spirit of Jubilee toward others. Now, here's what's interesting with Jubilee, and then we'll finish with this. So, Jesus, when he first came on, so now go to Go to Luke. When Jesus first came onto the scene, sounds like a movie, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. When he first came to his public ministry, he'd been a craftsman, a carpenter, worked with his hands, and then his first kind of publicly recorded um, sermon or whatever it was in a small synagogue somewhere where he, un, he uh, it was his turn to read. Every Jewish man had a turn to read. Um, the, the, the scrolls, and he read from the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he read, and I'll tell you how it ties in what we just talked about. From the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the year of the Lord's favor, every Jewish man and woman knew the year of the Lord's favor, what, favor of was what year? It was the year of Jubilee. So Jesus is saying, in me, the year of Jubilee has come. And Jesus wasn't talking significantly about economic Jubilee. He was talking about spiritual Jubilee that has all kinds of ramifications, of course, to other things. But he was talking about the year of Jubilee is, is no matter what you've done, no matter what spiritual debts you have to God, no matter... No matter what things you've done that has wounded you spiritually, that has violated God, no matter what you've done, Jesus announces this, that he's come to bring about the year of jubilee from the favor of God, which means forgiveness and wholeness again, and an incredible generosity from God. So Jesus himself embodied this year of, or this, this whole spirit of jubilee. Make others whole. Not just Jesus came to make us whole, but he came to make us whole so we can make others whole in that sense. So, uh, so I guess my challenge is simply going to be this. What would it be if, for you to be a jubilee kind of white Christian? What does that mean? What, if you have the spirit of jubilee, which is, means if, if you understand the generosity of Jesus in your life, 
with the spiritual reset button that he offers for forgiveness. And then we have that spirit of unusual supernatural generosity inside of us. What are you going to do with that? And again, I'm not going to tell you what to do. That, that's me and the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit tells John to give some of his money to somebody who's, under, who's less privileged than him, that's, that's between John and the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit tells Mike Cal to do something with his time and energy or maybe the opportunities he had to benefit somebody else who had less opportunity, that's between, John, that's, between, that's between Mike and the Holy Spirit. But it's the spirit of Jesus, which is the spirit of Jubilee inside of us. I actually, one of the books I was reading, and I, I'm, I'm going I'm to close with this, actually was advocating churches. I, I just, I've just thought about this week, so it's not going to be a, it's not a done deal or anything. Advocating churches having a Jubilee fund, which was essentially finance, finances set aside to be a part of helping others um, who maybe have had less advantage. I suppose we could say the gift of the lighthouse was a Jubilee gift. We didn't call it that. And maybe there's other situations where God may ask us to do things like that, not necessarily only to African-American churches, but to other churches or other ministries that maybe are, have less financial opportunity than we do. I don't know. But my challenge for you is individually, you need to respond. If Jesus asks you to be generous with time, money, resources, whatever, on behalf of someone else who has had less opportunity than you, then be motivated by the, by the spirit of Jesus in you because when you obey Jesus, he actually says we have intimacy with him in ways we don't understand. So not, not shame. It's not shame. We're not motivated by shame. I'm never going to tell you, you should give more to the church. It's not shame. Or you should be giving more to other people. Not, not that. It's the spirit of God saying, I want you, John or Mike or whoever, I want you to steward your resources toward this thing, who, this, these people, or this person, or this group, or this ministry that needs this. So, because to him much is given, much is required. Because Jesus expects that of us, not out of guilt or appeasing him, but because he knows that will give us a greater and a fuller joy, a greater and a fuller peace, and from his own words, a greater and a fuller intimacy and connection with God himself. That's why we do it. We don't do it because we're not appeasing some shame gods. We're doing it because we love Jesus and we follow his voice. So if he says much is given, much required, he says that because he knows that's the pathway to life for all of us. So let me pray and then we'll take communion. Jesus, we, uh, you said you embodied, by your own words, you embodied you announcing the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. The time now where you, God, look to us with an incredible generosity and a spirit of forgiveness. And maybe there's even some of us here this morning that need to be reminded that that's how Jesus is toward us individually. He offers uh, forgiveness. He offers a fresh start. He offers uh, a clean slate, wiped clean by his own blood and by the Spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit inside of us. So, Jesus, I pray that any, any growth we have individually in being generous people will start at the core of our hearts where we understand how generous you've been toward us. And I'm not, just, I'm not talking financially, God. I'm talking about the generosity you've shown us in uh, showing us mercy and grace and forgiveness. So would that be the starting point? Would you grow that seed inside of us so we become 
naturally generous people in the spirit of Jubilee and use the much we've been given to bring goodness and joy and peace to others and to point others to Jesus. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.